Welcome back. It is Encounter with God time here on The Breakfast Show. You're with Lila Mini. Uh, we've got a text message coming through here. And this is going back to the story I was talking about, uh, aged care and COVID and so forth. Oh, no, sorry. Going back to uh, David Halps. Oh, yes. On the interview singing. about music and mm-hmm. singing. Yep. Yeah, yeah, so we're going right back to the beginning of the show. This one's been sitting a little bit of, a little bit of time waiting for me to get to it. <laughs> um, is it not interesting that you would think that the health department would know the benefits of singing? Hmm. And still they're forcing people to stop singing. Well, they're not forcing people in New South Wales. You are allowed to sing in church. We need to make that very clear. It's recommended against, strongly recommended against, but you're allowed to do so. And basically what they are doing is covering their butt. Yeah, okay. So if a virus breaks out in a church somewhere, they will say, we strongly recommended them not to sing, but they sung, and so now the virus is there. Mm-hmm. So this is your fault. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. right. That's, yeah. that's all it is about, Okay. Uh, the benefits obviously outweigh the possibilities of getting COVID-19. That would vary from one region to another, of course, but uh, we are facing a massive pandemic of depression right now. Mm. Um, calls to Lifeline are just you know skyrocketing, skyrocketing since I think they, were, they went to 22%, they went to 36% increase in Victoria. And, of course... You know what we were just talking about in aged care homes. Mm. Those people are not calling Lifeline. That's right. Yeah. And that's where the real problem is at the moment. And this is one of the reasons why I believe that uh, COVID is wreaking so much havoc in aged care facilities. And what we need to be doing is looking at um, looking at ways that we can really minister to people in those aged care facilities. And you know that's going to be tough. I don't have the answers on that one. But if you've got some answers. Some ideas. Mini suggested writing letters. Yeah, or even because just Because these are people don't do Zoom. They don't really no. do Zoom. <laughs> Write letters. Yes. Do a letter writing campaign. Somebody needs to start this. It needs to become a thing. Yeah. It needs to become a COVID kindness. Well, and I know that like some schools. Or a corona made, kindness. What do we call it? Yeah, corona, yeah, corona kindness. Some schools I know had kids writing to um, people in aged care homes. Yeah, good. Which was cool because then you, you know right. how you have like little pen pals. Yeah, so if you're a teacher, here's an idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's 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 make this happen. We mm. need to we need to be reaching out to these people. They are really struggling. Yeah, and I can you know I put myself in those shoes, and I was the kind of person who was getting you know a visit say once a week, mm-hmm. and for the rest of the time I'd spend time looking at you know the four walls of the room that I lived in, talking to the medical staff, you know, getting out to the games room every now and then, going down to the. Uh, uh, the dining hall, mm. um, you know, that's not great. But then when all of that comes to an end and I'm just within four walls, mm. you know, even prisoners in solitary confinement in Australia get an hour in the sunshine each week. Yeah. Our age, our age care deserve that at Absolutely. least. Absolutely. They at least deserve it. But they don't have the staff to be able to do it because no. you've got to be, you know, you've got to have, you've got to have an, in, an infectious ward staff mm. who can't go into the, you know, the inf- or, or a non-infectious ward staff because the, the, they can't cross from one side of the nursing home to the other. Yeah. And uh, they have to take them out there individually, one at a time. You can't, you know, where are you going to find that kind of staffing? And it's hard because I remember when I was working in nursing, like my first full-time job after high school was, and I loved it, but you just sometimes you just ran out of time in the day yeah. to even just have conversations and it made me so frustrated because I was like but you need conversation I know you need it so like on break or you know when I'd finish or whatever I would but yeah even just logistically maybe we need a whole on the singing thing maybe we just need to get a whole bunch of people who would just go stand and sing outside you know just sing into their window just guys open up your windows and we'll sing from a distance all right 
Another couple of text messages come in, really long ones. I'm going to have to wait to uh, a song break to be able to read those ones and go through it. (laughs) (coughs) So we'll get back to it. Revelation chapter 14, verse 14 is where we're going to in our Bible study today. With uh, we are continuing to look at Revelation's end time message. Mm. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> this is the correct one. I'm like, yep, that's the right day. Good, good. Revelation chapter fourteen, verse fourteen through twenty. This is a really interesting passage. Yes, this is. Okay, so it says, "Then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand." Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, Swing the sickle, for the time of the harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. After that, another angel came from the temple in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, who had power to destroy with fire, came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with a sharp sickle, Swing your sickle now to gather the cluster of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress in a, steam, uh, in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. If you just read that, just as that, that seems very intense. <laughs> I, I don't know how you can read this as not being no. very intense. No, but I mean, I think if you, if like, let's say if I was to pick up the Bible, had never read the Bible, didn't know anything about the character of God, and someone went, yep, the Bible is about the love of God, I would read this and be like, I don't understand. <laughs> you read this verse. If this was the only passage yep. you read in the Bible, yep, that and someone not- said the Bible is about the love of God. <laughs> I'd be like, I think that's lies. I think you're lying to my face. <laughs> Okay, so what do we have depicted here? What is, what is the symbolism that we've got happening right here? Well, we have a harvest. We do. That's the, that's the primary symbol right there. Yes. And we have two harvests, it seems. There's one that's initially done and yes. then there's one that's done for the judgment. Okay, so there's one that's initially done and there's one that's done with violence. Yes, yes. It's kind of one way of, of looking at it. The, it's intense language, you know, 180 mm. miles. How many, what's that in case? Oh. You've got such an American translation over there. I didn't do it. It's 180 miles. Oh, Let me, let me, let me, let me give it to you. My brain. All right. All right. Okay. Here, here it comes. Well, yours won't take kilometres either. Uh, the Bible says, and the wine press was trodden without the city and blood came out of the wine press, even under the horse's bridle by the space of 1,600 furlongs. That- that it makes even less sense. Because <laughs> everybody knows how, how far a furlong is, right? Yeah, absolutely. Come on, you guys. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, someone can calculate that for us in kilometres. Throw it into your kilometre miles converter and tell us how many kilometres that is. The vast majority of the world works in kilometres. Come on, Bible translators, get your act together. Not everybody in the world is an American. Okay. Um Let's okay. So we've got these two harvests. Yes. The second harvest is the harvest with violence. Yes. The first harvest, then, what harvest would that be? I would say of the righteous. That would be the harvest of the righteous. So everybody gets harvested. Yes. Yes, everyone. It just depends where you go at the end of the harvest. Yep. Are you grain or are you weeds? It's pretty much what this one is all about. And the Bible uses a very graphic language to talk about the destruction of the wicked and uh, and the destruction of evil. That's actually sorry, that's actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. 
It's actually a positive thing. Yes. So you think about how much injustice has been done to you. That will never, ever be addressed. Now, for some of you, that's going to be more than others. But I know that there are some of you listening right now that throughout your life, you have faced injustices. And that's pretty awful. Mm. However, what we have here is an end to injustice. Yes, absolutely. And a total destruction of it so that it will never, ever come back again. Mm. Because blood is one of those things, when it just goes flowing out on the ground like that, you can't put it back in. Mm. And that's what God is depicting here. God is depicting something, you know, this river of blood. It is flowing out, is flowing out across the ground. It is gone. Mm. It is over. You can't reverse that. This is this is irreversible in in uh, in what is taking place. And the destruction of evil is an irreversible process that is happening. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. By the way, during this harvest. Where are the angels coming from? It's a little side point here. I'm just going to go down a tiny Ooh. rabbit hole. Well, they're coming from the clouds, aren't they? No. Coming from that temple. Yes. The temple in heaven, yeah. Yeah, so this is Ooh, interesting because yes. the whole scene here, okay, the whole scene mm. is the temple in heaven. Uh, let me see here. Da, 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 where are we? Uh, verse 15, another angel came out of the temple. Yes. Uh, verse 17, another angel, angel came out of the temple. Verse 18, another angel came from the altar. Mm. That is all sanctuary, yes, temple, tabernacle yep. terminology. The entire context of this is God's temple in heaven. Yep. God's temple in heaven is where God deals with injustice. God's temple in heaven is where judgment takes place in favor of the righteous. God's temple in heaven is where you have thousands, thousands ministering unto him, thousand times ten thousand stood before him, the judgment was set, and the books were opened. Mm. God's temple in heaven is where God's throne is. This is the center of where it is all happening, and when we look at God's temple on earth, it gives us a picture of what is taking place. God's temple on earth, in the most holy place of the temple on earth, you had God's law. Yeah. God's holy law, the Ten Commandments. And it's God's holy law, the Ten Commandments, that reveals what sin is. Mm. And because it reveals what sin is, it then becomes a standard by which you can judge. Okay, so think about that. How do you have a standard by which you can judge and also salvation by grace alone? <laughs> but I think that's where you have something that's incredible about the earthly sanctuary as it's laid out. Yes. Because we, we know that, right? The Bible says it is a copy of the temple in heaven. That's right. It's a miniature. Right? It's like yeah. black and white kind of but, really, really. But yeah. the, the basics are there. The so basics we can are understand. there. Yeah. The one in heaven is probably like some massive. Nebula. Huge. and Yeah. Um, but Millions of light any, years across. It's like any time the Bible talks about the temple, it actually often has very intense language. We're not necessarily like this. Mm, oh, but it does. the laws are very intense. The, so intense. Any of the visions, you know, go back to Ezekiel, that whole situation was I'm departing. I'm, I'm removing my presence from you guys. You don't want me here, you know. And that's also very quite intensive. Like, no, nah, I'm, you know, my fury will, you know, it's very intense so often. And yet also, also combined with it, the structure of the sanctuary service is but kind of ultimate justice, but also grace at all costs. 
Absolutely. Do you know I, what I, mean? I like what you said. Ultimate justice and grace at all costs. Yeah. Which I think when you then couple that with this passage, like how we said, if you just read this alone, you're like, okay, that's really intense. Uh Hold on, hold on. Let's get the whole picture. I mean, not right this instant, but if you go through and get the whole picture of, okay, what is this sanctuary all even about? Then you get this bigger picture of what what God is up to and why, as you said, the end of injustice is actually a really incredible thing. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, there's a reason why I went down this rabbit hole of the temple. Brilliant. And the Bible focuses on the altar. Yeah. Okay, so there's an angel, two angels that angel comes from the temple, another angel comes from the temple, another angel comes from the altar. Yes. The altar that was in the courtyard was an altar of sacrifice. The altar that was in the temple, which is in the holy place, which is the altar that we find in heaven, is the altar where the blood was administered. Mm. Yeah. Blood was placed on the four horns of that golden altar. Now, think about this. You have blood inside the temple. You have blood outside the temple. But the blood that's inside the temple will save you. The blood that's outside the temple will not save you. Mm -hmm. It flows out on the ground. It flows out for miles and it's never coming back. Oh, interesting. All right, I'm seeing what you're doing. Uh Yeah. Uh-huh. Picking up what you're putting down. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, so there's blood in both places. Inside the temple is the blood of Jesus Christ. If we claim that blood, our blood is never spilt because he did it for us. It was a total sacrifice. He gave that blood. He gave it to us so that we don't have to lose our blood. You know, this is the symbolism. This is rich in symbolism right here. Yeah. And this is the whole message that you have coming through in Revelation chapter 14. You know, this is, this is, this Revelation 14 is the single most intense chapter in the Bible. <laughs> End of story. Yeah. It just, there is nothing else like it. Mm. If you back up to the third angel's message where the Bible says, you know, third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worship the beast, his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, undiluted, into the cup of his indignation, and be tormented with fire and brimstone, the presence of the angels, prince and lamb, etc. That's intense. Yeah. And what Jesus is saying is this. I've been there. I've gone through that. Because on the cross... Jesus died the death that we deserve to die. In other words, he experienced the wrath of God. Mm. He says, I did that so that you don't have to. So please. Please don't. Don't. (laughs) Mm. And this is something that I think is really, well, at least in my life I've become to realize is really important too, is the grace of God is incredible. And I Mm. definitely don't understand it, but... We need to have some understanding of just how depraved the human heart becomes when sin is involved. Yes. Right? Because it is just brutal. If we only go, oh, yeah, but the grace of God, but my sin isn't that bad. (sighs) Like we don't understand. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's exactly like this passage is going, this thing is bad. Like bad, bad, bad. Like you want it gone. And I think I said maybe another morning, but – I think David Ashikor, one of the pastors I was listening to in a sermon, said the good news is only as good as the bad news is bad. 
Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, no, it's some great thoughts that are coming through right here. Let's go back to uh, Matthew chapter 13. And uh, Matthew chapter 13. My Bible is seriously falling apart. I need a new one. <laughs> How long have you had that one? Not that long as cheap and nasty. Oh, I understand. Okay, Matthew chapter 13. We're going to work our way through this particular uh, parable right here because it's um, all about the um, it's all about the harvest. Mm. So why don't we start in verse 24? I, my eyes were straight there. Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull back the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the weed if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Let's, let's look at what we have happening mm. in this particular passage. You have a garden growing right now. I do. How good are you at growing food? Oh, look, it's working. I don't, I don't know if I'm like great, but <laughs> you're, you're it's, eating it's working. Stuff. Yeah, I'm eating stuff. <laughs> How good are you at growing weeds? Oh, look, probably better. <laughs> <laughs> I love gardening. I am exceptionally good at growing weeds. Mm-hmm. You want you want some you want some uh, you want some lawn happening at your house? Just invite me to come over and plant a and garden, and gardening. you will have lawn right yeah, then yeah, and there. Yeah. You know that's how weeds are. Okay, so imagine if you you know back a month or two ago, yeah, or three. When you Whatever planted was, your garden, yeah. you got on at the back, you got excited, you dug up the ground, you're like, yeah, this is going to be amazing. You planted all these seeds, you, you've watered it and settled it down, gone back inside with that satisfied feeling. You always get when uh-huh. your hands have been in dirt, right? <laughs> always. Always. And then, of course, I come along that night and actually just sprinkle grass seed over the top of the whole oh, thing. Such a bully. <laughs> and you know that grass seed's going to come up in like half the time, right? Mm, mm-hmm. That'd be pretty discouraging. Absolutely. Particularly if you were a commercial farmer. Yeah. Okay, so let's think about you're a commercial farmer and you go out with your cedar and, you know, you're planting, you know, a couple of hundred thousand acres of, uh, of, say, wheat or something or other that we might hear in Australia and somebody else in a tractor goes out, you know, after you when you're not around and just sows grass seed. I'd be so annoyed. That would be devastating. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So you can imagine how devastated this farmer is at this particular point and that's God. Mm. That's what happens when sin turns up. That's how devastating it is. But it's, it's amazing. Just destroyed everything. Yes. The grace that he goes, no, 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 don't pull it out yet because I don't want the good ones to go. Okay, ahead. we're going to come back and talk about that because that's just such an amazing thought right there. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so where are we up to? We are. We were looking- in Matthew 13. We were talking about the harvest. The harvest, that's right. Yes. And someone sowing weeds and yes. how disappointed God would be when suddenly our world is full yes. of weeds. Yeah. And it's a little bit different from, very, very different from growing a garden where you are able to weed it as the weeds come up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so this is not just a situation of random weeds coming up in your garden. This is somebody who's actually sown it with grass. Deliberately. Yeah. Deliberately. And it's also in context, it is somebody who has sown grain. Now, grain is grass. Yeah. <laughs> so essentially what you've got happening is two different kinds of grass growing. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so if they'd been growing potatoes, it would be very easy to weed because, you know, potatoes are a very different kind of plant than yeah, grass. Different root systems and stuff. But when you have, when you've basically sown lawn, a lawn of wheat, and then you re sow it with a lawn of grass, you can't weed that. Mm, yeah. That's impossible mm-hmm. because all of the little plants as they're coming out of the ground, they're all exactly the same size. They're all intermingled. They've all got their roots you know, wrapped around each other. And this is why uh, the servants are like, do you want us to weed it? And he's like, you can't. Yeah. This is impossible. But they still want to try, right? Because if this was your livelihood, you would still be like, oh, we have to try to save some of it. That's right. You know, so you can understand where in the parable they're, they're coming from. Uh-huh. Mm. You know what I would have done? Let it grow and just run stock on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just you know, I would have given up. I just run stock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they, but he doesn't. He doesn't give up. He doesn't just let stock run on it. No. He's like, no, this is important to me. I want that grain. That grain is valuable to me. And so he's like, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to harvest the whole field. We're going to harvest all the grass, mm. all the grain at the same time, and then we'll separate out, separate out the grain, and yeah. we'll keep the grain, and the rest will just burn. Okay, this is a parable that is all about the end of the world and we need to go down a few verses to, uh, to come to the explanation of it. Let's go down to verse 37 where the disciples have asked him, can you please explain the parable to us? Okay, verse 37 says, Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the ones who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The son of man will send his angels and they will remove him. They will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's stop there for a moment. Let's work our way down through this. This is an interesting, very, very interesting uh, parable. Okay, so starting in uh, verse 37, he that sowed the good seed is Jesus. Yeah. It's God. And there's good seed. Um, the field is the world. And the good seed are the children of the kingdom. They are the followers of Jesus Christ. Yes. The Bible goes on and it says, and the weeds are the children of Satan. Yeah. So you've got two groups, those who follow God, those who follow Satan. That's all it's, you know, amounted to. Um Right here. Then you've got, um, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be when. When are they gathered and burned in the fire, according to what the Bible says right here? The end of the world, when Jesus comes again. Now that's very interesting. I find a lot of people who tell me that the wicked or the weeds are burned as soon as they die. Mm, mm-hmm. yep. The Bible does not say that. The Bible does not teach that anywhere that a place a person goes to a place of torment the moment they die, that's not in Scripture. Yes. If you've got a passage in Scripture that uh, is an unequivocal statement in relationship to that, then just uh, let me know. You know what our number is, 1-800-324-843. Would love to discuss it with you. Or text us on 0491-064-669. Okay, where are we up to? Uh, the weeds will be burned. So it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will gather out of the kingdom all things that offend and those which do iniquity and throw them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Yes, hellfire is a real thing. Its purpose is 
to destroy evil. Mm. And destroy being the operative word because destroy is the word that is always used in relationship to hellfire. Death is what is always used in relationship to the wicked, not eternal life in hellfire. Mm. So there's a couple of things that come out here straight away. Hellfire takes place at the end of the world and it doesn't burn forever. The Bible is so clear on this. Um, Verse 43, let's go through to verse 43. Okay, then the righteousness will will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I think it's cool. The righteous will shine like the sun. Absolutely. (laughs) And this comes back to what we started with in Revelation chapter Mm. 14 where you've got two groups. Yes. You've got those who claim the blood of Jesus Mm. that was spilt for them and was sprinkled in the temple in heaven. Symbolically, of course. Yes. And those who don't claim the blood of Jesus and their blood is spilled on the ground. You've got the same two groups here, the wheat and the weeds. And the Bible says that the wheat shall shine as stars, which shall shine um, forth as the sun Mm. in the kingdom of heaven. We have the opportunity to be one of the one of those two groups. Let's choose Jesus today. Let's every single one of us choose Jesus. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, what's our question of the day? Question of the day. It is what is the importance or significance of the investigative judgment if we here on earth can't see it or the effects of it and cannot watch the prophecy be fulfilled? How can we even know the interpretation of Scripture regarding this is correct if it cannot be proved? So this was texted in. Um, we want to know the answer. Okay, we're probably going to answer this in a couple of sections because this is a really important question. Yes. And uh, we're going to begin in Daniel chapter 9 because Daniel chapter 9 is the continuation of Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 8 is all about the investigative judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, if we go to Daniel chapter 8, um, you will find that there's a whole bunch of ancient history in Daniel chapter 8. The Bible talks about, you know, um, Medo Persia, Greece, Rome, etc. This is all ancient history. And then it talks about, you know, a period of time, 2,300 days, and then the judgment will begin. The cleansing of the sanctuary is another word for the judgment. The Bible says that in verse 17, so he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid. This is chapter 8, verse 17. Fell on my face, but he, this is Gabriel, said to me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end will be the vision. So we know that chapter 8 is all about the time of the end. Yes. Therefore, Daniel chapter 8 is not about Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. That's given you for a foundation, a historical foundation. It's about the judgment. Yes. That's what the chapter is about. Uh, Then you go down to uh, verse 19. He repeats, I behold, I will make you known what shall be in the last end of the indignation for at the time appointed the end shall be. This is all about the end of time, and the only way that you can get from ancient prophecy to the end of time, of course, is through the 2,300 days, um, 2,000 day for a year principle, 2,300 years brings you down to the time of the end. Yes. All right, so that's a, uh, a, a very simple view right there. So chapter 8 is all about the judgment, right? Yes. Now, here's a couple of points. The judgment must happen before Jesus comes back. Because the Bible says when he comes, his reward is with him. That's common sense. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to argue with it, with you on that. Uh, therefore, the judgment must take place in heaven. Mm-hmm. 
Therefore, we don't get to see it, hence the person's question. Yeah. I can't see it, I won't believe it. So God has gone, all right, this is going to be something that's going to require faith. So therefore, what can I do to prove it to planet Earth? What can I do in a physical way on Earth to give crystal clear demonstration that is trustworthy, that is historically verifiable, that people can see, that is tangible evidence to back up my prophecy of what's going to take place in heaven? And so the angel Gabriel comes back in chapter 9. He's like, okay, here it comes. I'm going to give you a whole bunch, and he gives you six different tangible proofs on earth by which you can verify what takes place in heaven, what we can't see. And the Bible goes on, and the Bible says in Daniel chapter 9, uh, where were we, uh, verse 24, 70 weeks are cut off for your people, your holy city, to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. He lists off a whole bunch of events. Yeah. And he simply says here, all of these events are going to come together to seal the vision. Why does the vision need a seal? No other vision in the Bible has a seal. This is the only one that has a seal. The reason that this one has a seal, and a seal, of course, is a guarantee of authenticity, a guarantee of trustworthiness. That's the purpose of the seal. The reason that this one is given a seal is because it's going to take place in heaven. You're going to have to accept it by faith. So here's what Gabriel says. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of a list of events Mm. that are going to take place on earth. And not just a list of certain events. I'm going to attach dates, specific dates to those events. So that when you can go back and historically verify it, you will have tangible evidence that you can trust exactly what the Bible says in relationship to the investigative judgment and the 2,300-day prophecy. And then he gives you a list of events. The first, of course, is the ministry of Jesus, the fact. So let's go through some facts. The first is the fact of the ministry of Jesus where he brought in everlasting righteousness. Okay, when Jesus does that, that is a seal by which you can trust the greater prophecy. But then he goes on and he gives you more. He gives you the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. There will be a decree. When you see that decree, this is going to be a historically verifiable fact that you can use as a seal of uh, the rebuilding of the temple. Then you have, of course, the fact that it was finished on time. Then you have the baptism of Jesus, which took place, and he gives you the date when it's going to happen. You know, 483 years ahead of time, gives you the date when it's going to happen. Then he gives you the date for the death of Jesus Christ. And then he gives you the date for the establishment of the Gentile church. The fact that we have a Gentile church in our world today is part of the seal of the investigative judgment. So to deny the investigative judgment, you have to deny the ministry of Jesus, the whole ministry of Jesus. You have to deny the decree to rebuild and and, uh, and restore the, the temple. In you have to deny the fact that it was rebuilt and restored. You have to deny the baptism of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and you have to deny the fact that we have a Gentile church today. That is more proof than any other prophecy in the Bible. This is 
the most watertight prophecy in all of Scripture. There, we're going to continue on. You got me fired up right now. This is going to be an awesome question (laughs) of the day. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.